We're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 1. Uh, my name is Matt, and if you are visiting, we're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're excited to uh, just to be able to go through uh, what it means to be a follower of Christ. So, but this morning, we're going to start off, um, I don't know if the video is uh, ready. There's a video that I wanted to share with you because... This morning, as we look at what it means to be on mission, like we're all called as believers to be on mission doing uh, what God's called us to do, um, sometimes we, we could forget that. And one of the aspects of the mission uh, we're going to look at right here. So if we could go ahead and turn out the lights and we'll go ahead and show this, that would be great. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This is a powerful reminder that who we follow matters. That's why it's so important for us to help our children start their faith journey on the right path. Sadly, half the children today who grow up in the church are leaving their faith behind instead of living it out after high school. That should deeply disturb us. We cannot be content to stand by and watch half our children just walk away from Jesus. So what's our strategy for stopping this terrible church trend? Do we need more money? Do we need more fun? More excitement? I don't think so. I believe we need more influence. Influence is time plus relationship. The stronger your relationship is with someone and the more time you spend with them, determines the amount of influence you have. Let's find out who has influence over our children so we can better understand how to help our kids develop a strong faith they are living instead of leaving. The number one influence in a child's life is by far their parents. Our children spend 3,000 hours a year at home with their family. Children spend 1,260 hours a year at school. Most children today spend 1,095 hours every year interacting with media. And children spend 416 hours a year with their friends. Finally, children spend about 40 hours a year at church. So, should the church be surprised when their message of faith gets rejected by half the kids? The problem isn't the message or even how the message gets delivered. The problem is the church has a shortage of time, and therefore we have very little influence. But what if our children's ministry strategically partnered with the home? What if we worked together to maximize our time and relationships? I believe our influence would soar, and many of our children would embrace the faith, hope, and love Jesus is offering them. So here are three opportunities to partner with us this year. Number one, talk to your kids about their faith. Deuteronomy 6 tells us that teaching God's command to our children is a matter of life and death. In verse 7, it says, talk about them when you were at home and when you were on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Every lesson we teach at church is summarized and handed off to you with discussion questions. Make a habit of talking through this take-home sheet at home, on your way home, before tucking your kids into bed. And number two, talk to your kids about your faith. The truth is, your faith impacts your child's faith more than anything else. We simply cannot pass along to our kids something we don't possess. This doesn't mean we need to be perfect, just real. And number three, serve in your kid's church classroom. Before you dismiss this idea, let me explain to you why this simple step of faith is so powerful. Serving in our children's ministry allows you to experience the lessons firsthand alongside your child. This shared experience can naturally be discussed throughout the week. You'll also serve alongside other adult volunteers and children, which allow you to build strong, positive relationships for your family. And when your children see you step out of your comfort zone and serve God, they see faith in action. You will experience God in a new way, and your faith will grow. As your children grow, they may begin to serve too. Research shows that teens that serve in children's ministry are much more likely to have a faith that sticks after high school. The bottom line is, our children desperately need a faith that lasts. 
Our church needs to magnify the message of faith by combining our influence with parents. So, will you take a step of faith this year and partner with us for the sake of our kids before they just walk away? Yeah, I wanted to share that because this morning we are looking at mission. And I think that uh, too many times within the body of Christ, it's so easy to look at Uh, quote-unquote, the professionals to do the discipling and to do the work of the ministry when God's called all of us to do the work of the ministry together. So uh, with that, uh, before I pray, I wanted to let you know one of the things that our youth is going to be doing, and we need your help to partner with us in this, um, not only teaching in children's ministry, there's, there's needs there. Uh, we don't want just warm bodies. We're not just looking like, well, you know, I have a pulse and I have a heartbeat and uh, I could do it. It's, it's, do you have a desire to have an influence to, to minister to kids or to youth or actually to partner with us in that in prayer and, and in support? Our youth group is going to do this thing called commando and we need two things from you. Uh, we need names. These names are families that you know of this uh, Thanksgiving that would uh, love and need some help. Like a Thanksgiving dinner is going to be a hard thing for them. And you might know some people that are going through a hard time like that. Please give us their names and a description and drop it over there on, on that table or in the box. And uh, we'll be able to get these. And then the second thing is we need, we need the donations because based on the number of donations that come in, that's how many families that we could serve. And what we do is I was going to dress in camouflage today to do it, uh, but I decided not to. Um, but we dress up in camouflage, and uh, the youth go out and have a great time and, and uh, bring that basket, all the fixings, everything that you need, including a turkey for a Thanksgiving meal the week before. And um, we, we plan, and we'll go to their house and uh, dress in camouflage, and we'll ring the doorbell, and we'll run away, and we'll watch as they open up the door. And it just says, someone was thinking about you and prayed for you, and uh, God uh, God provided this for you. And it's just a way of sharing the gospel uh, with physical actions. So we would love for you to partner with us to be able to do that. And you could drop it over in the agape box. Uh, but uh, these are the two things that we need. We need names of families and we need people to support that. So if that's something that's in your heart to do, then uh, it'd be great to partner together. Uh, let's pray and we'll get into the word. Father, this morning we want to thank you. You call us to partner with you. Lord, not only in providing um, for others, Lord, because you are the provider, but Lord, you've told us to tell others what we've learned. You've told us, Lord, to teach others what we have been taught and what we know about you to share that with other people. So God, I pray that you would help us to take that mission seriously. I I pray today that, Lord, uh, there would be something in us. Maybe there's butterflies in our stomach or our heart beating a little faster because God, we we just wanna get out there and do something for you. We wanna make a difference Uh, for the kingdom. We want to do something that lasts. And so God, I'm praying that today your Holy Spirit uh, speaks to us. Lord, help me to be able to teach what you've given me to teach. Help us to be able to listen with uh, hearts that are ready to receive. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when we look at what it means to be a disciple, this morning specifically, we are going to look at church mission. What is our mission as a body of Christ? Um, I asked this to uh, my, my sons, and it was, it was pretty neat. I, just, I asked uh, my son, Matt, I said, hey, what is, what is our mission? As a Christian, what is our mission? And he said, to serve Jesus and to help other people to serve Jesus. I said, that's great. So I asked my son, Josiah, um, hey, what does it mean? You know, what, what is our mission? And he said, to bring as many people home with us as we can. 
And just two great definitions. One is more discipleship. The other one is, in a sense, more evangelism. But it's both of those. It's not one or the other. It's to bring as many people as we can. But while we bring them, it doesn't mean that once someone receives Christ, that that's the end of that, that, that relationship. It's that we walk with them and that we help them to grow. And, and we also partner with others that are helping us to grow. That's why, uh, as Pastor Bill was talking about life groups, um, so important for us to be in fellowship to not just be here. Discipleship does happen here to a certain degree. The word is being taught, you're learning, you're growing. But you know what? We do this in, in circles. We do this in living rooms. We do this when we're, we're face-to-face with other people. And this morning, uh, I just wanted to review what we looked at last week because when we're on mission together, we have fellowship. And it's important that, that if we get these things wrong, if these things aren't a part of our fellowship it could break down the unity and fellowship within the body of Christ. Our fellowship has to be based on the glory of God, not our own glory. And sometimes when it comes to friendship, um, we could actually be manipulative because we want people to fill all of our needs. There's a danger in that. Because in, in fellowship, ultimately, it should be to bring glory to God. Amen? Right? It's not for, for us primarily. It's primarily for God's glory. Our fellowship is based on eternal life in Christ. Um, guess what? There might be some believers that you don't get along with. Well, you're going to spend a long time with those people. <laughs> it's going to be a lot longer than a Sunday morning. It's going to be for an eternity. It's not like, wow, you know, as soon as I die, you know, I'll be in heaven. You're here? You know, what are you doing? Like, no, our, our fellowship is based on the, the fact that we're, um, we have eternal life in Christ. It's also based on God's word. It doesn't mean that we just get together to get together, but there's a basis to it. Remember, we talked about casual relationships. If I'm reading the word and I'm being uh, fed and I'm growing, I have something to share. I have something to bring to that conversation. And, and one of the things that uh, you could do is just say, hey, is there anything that God's been teaching you lately? Just a great way of fellowship. Just a, a way to center it on, on some things that God is doing. We talked about joy and how it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. It's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Not that we're always happy. We go through hard times. We, we go through depression. But that joy is something that if you're a believer that is filled with the Spirit, people will know that. How will they know? Because you're one of the only happy people at work. I remember when I, I, left, uh, I left my company, my boss, that uh, actually Dave Johnston and Rick Franks, all those guys, Pastor Johnny, you know, we, we all worked. It was Pac Bell, and then it was SBC, and, you know, it just, it just keeps morphing, and Vince, and all those people. Well, I, I worked for that company for a while. And I remember when I left that company, my boss used to yell at me. I, I've never been yelled at like that by, by an adult, like screamed at. She pounded her fist on her desk one time. I remember when I left and I was just so blessed. Like I, I know what I, I'm called to do and so I'm ready to do that. And she started crying. And so I'm in her office. I give my resignation and she started to cry. And I'm wondering like, why is she crying? Like, is she gonna be bummed that she can't yell at me more often? Or, um, and, and she said, you, you're one of the only positive things around here. She said, I just see you come in and you just, and I'm like, why are you yelling at me then? You know, <laughs> but it's the joy of Jesus. And then remember that in fellowship, we're to be in the world, but not of it. It doesn't mean that we leave our friendships and relationships with people that are not Christians. 
if we do that, we take the light out of the world and we concentrate the light in one place. We take the salt out of the world and we put it in a salt shaker and salt is to be spread around. And so God calls us to do that. And that's our, our fellowship. And then our unity is in Christ's love. We look forward to the hope of heaven. If, if you think that fellowship here, if you're looking for the church that is going to be perfect here, you will not find it because there are no perfect churches and there are no perfect people. And if there were and you joined it, you would just mess it up. So they wouldn't let you in anyway. Um, our hindrances to fellowship, we looked at pride. Um, you know, pride many times manifests itself in hurt that won't be let go of. In the body of Christ, as Christians, as human beings that are fallen, we will we'll sin. We're gonna say things that offend other people by accident, uh, hopefully not on purpose, but we'll, we'll say things, we'll ignore some, we'll, we'll do just dumb things. But pride will hinder the fellowship because in, in our pride, we hold on to the hurt and we can't get over it. And we have to remember this, that Jesus even told us to love our enemies. Now we can't do that, but Christ can do that through us. Hindrances to fellowship could be isolation. As soon as we start to get, throw the pity party, I don't know about you, but when I have the pity parties, I, I send out the invites. You know, I, either through a text or email, I'll call people. And sometimes people don't respond to my invites. And then I get really bummed out and, and there's, an, you know, you can isolate and just throw this pity party and no one wants to come because they're throwing theirs, you know, and you're not coming to theirs. And, and so our isolation and selfishness, now are we to reach out to other people when we're hurting? Yes. But primarily, where does our comfort come from? It comes from God. I need to go to God before I go to someone else. Now, I can go to God and then go to someone else, but if I'm only going to other people and I'm not going to God, then I'm not going to receive the comfort that the Holy Spirit gives us. And remember, Jesus said, it's good that I go away because if I do not go away, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, will not come. He is our comforter. We are hindered in fellowship when we forget the basis of our unity. And we're going to look at that a little bit more today. And when there's sin, obviously, and not just sin of commission, not just big sins that we think about in the church that are the big sins, it's also the sin of omission, the things that God's called us to do that we don't do. God says in his word, he tells us not to forsake the gathering together of the brethren. And it's so easy to get busy. It's so easy to get wrapped up in our own lives. So we start to pull away from fellowship. We start to isolate. And then finally, lack of time. We live in a, a very busy culture. Um, we're, we're driving uh, a majority of the time. We're uh, online. We're talking to, I mean, there's so many things that are going on. And in that lack of time, sometimes it, it causes us to miss out on fellowship. And so this morning, what we are going to focus on is our mission. And because fellowship and mission are so tied together, um, I think that we forget this when, when we start to look at fellowship as just having fun together. The closest relationships that I have are people that are walking with the Lord and are on mission doing the things that God has called us to do together. I just look at my life. I have friends that are Christians that we we enjoy common things. We like the same food or, or we like the same team or we like the same places. But my closest relationships are with people that are doing the things that God has called us to do. 
Because I'll tell you what, it's going to get hard, and God wants us to be in that together. And so, let's see, it reverted back. If you would turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1. We are going to read in Acts, chapter 1. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after, th- after through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of of the earth. Father, this morning we pray that as we look at your word again, that you would help us to understand it. Lord, you told us to wait for that power of your spirit. And Lord, I just confess that too many times I just run um, just going forward without waiting upon you. So Lord, this morning we, we want to do that. We want to take uh, some time, Lord, just to wait upon you, to ask you, Lord, to fill us to ask you to speak to us, Lord, to slow down our our thoughts, to be able to hear what you have to say. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at Acts chapter one, Theophilus means lover of God. Luke wrote the former account, which is the gospel or the story of, of what God has done, what Christ has done in the book of Luke. Then we have the book of Acts. It's like a part two. And in it, he addresses someone named Theophilus. Now, we don't know historically necessarily who Theophilus is, but his name means lover of God. That's what Theophilus means, lover of God. And when I think about Luke writing to Theophilus, I really think that for us as as a a church, um, I really hope and pray that we would be lovers of God. In fact, if there's something that would uh, call us together as a body of Christ that would cause us to, to be here, I, I hope that it's not just, hey, it's, it's a religious thing or it's a routine thing or I'm going through the motions. But you know what? God wants us to have a relationship where we love him back and we're responding to his love for us. Unless we understand God's love and we love him back, the rest of the message will make no sense. Okay, I'm just letting you know. Because mission without relationship becomes legalism. Let me respond. Religion and mission without relationship, it becomes legalism. If I don't know Jesus, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not, I don't talk to him. He doesn't talk to me. I don't spend any time with him, but I'm busy about doing things. It becomes a, a list of do's and don'ts. It becomes very task-oriented. And as it becomes task-oriented, I'll look at other people that aren't working as hard as I am and I'll get mad at them or I'll judge them for not being as spiritual as me. But when it comes from relationship, 
I do what God's called me to do out of gratitude. God, thank you so much for saving me. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you give me your peace. Thank you that you give me joy. Thank you that you're changing my life. Thank you that you're working in my family. And so ministry becomes a response to what God has already done. So when Luke writes to Theophilus, he writes to him as a lover of God. And then he says, hey, for these 40 days, what did Jesus do? After the, uh, after the resurrection, after Jesus rose from the dead, he presented himself alive. And many times he would show up in one place and then he would show up in another place. And, and I really believe that one of the reasons why he did that in the way that he did was to make them realize that he's always with them. See, when Jesus was with them physically, he was located in one place in a physical body. But after that, when he said the Holy Spirit would come, he wanted them to know I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm omnipresent now. I'm not just in one place. It's like when Lazarus died, remember Martha and Mary running to Jesus saying, if only you were over here, but because you were over there, Lazarus has died. Our brother died because you were in that place. And I think Jesus wants us to know that he's everywhere. He's all around us. He showed himself alive. There were many different proofs um, that he is who he said that he was for 40 days. And what did he do? Notice that in verse three, it says, um, he presented himself after you know those 40 days and he spoke of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. This was a preparation time. And if we're going to go on mission, if we're going to do what God's called us to do, there's, there's preparation in that. Do you remember when you uh, read in uh, first and second, uh, in actually second Samuel, I believe, um, when the messenger comes and he tells them what happened in the battle. And as the messenger is coming to tell what happens, there's another guy that sees him running and gets kind of jealous, like, I want to be able to deliver the message. So he runs also. They both run and they get to David. And uh, David wants to know, so what happened in the battle? You know, what happened to, to Absalom? And the first guy gets there and he wins the race. He's like, I don't know. So, so what are you doing here? Well, I beat the other guy. He's going to come. He has, the, he has the message. Jesus wants us to know the message. He prepares us. He, he wants to spend time with us. And we have to see devotional time and our quiet time, not only as what new truth can I get out of this scripture? Can I find something that no one else has found? No. Uh, you know, can I see something that no one else has seen? You know, we, we look for those things and we, we forget that God wants to speak to us that day because there's a message that he wants, not only for us, but to use that in other people's lives. And when we take it that way, there's a little bit more urgency when I open up God's word, realizing that he has something for me to share. Now in verse four, being baptized with the spirit, it says, being assembled with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to do what? But to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me. So Jesus tells them, hey, hurry up and wait. Okay, I want you to come to this place, but I want you to wait. If you are a, how many of you are, are, consider yourself type A? Type A personality, you just like to do, you're always busy, you're always going about, you know, you go one place to another, you're always, okay, if you're, you're type A, you hate lines, okay? It, it, probably type B does too, but type A even more so. You, you hate traffic. You're sitting there and your blood pressure rises at every stoplight. And you, you actually pass people on freeways because you want to get one car in front of them because you, you're going to get there just a little bit sooner. 
and, and you have this feeling like, I got to get it done. I got to get it done. And if you're like me, it goes against nature. It goes against our natural tendency to just sit and be quiet sometimes because you want to go do something, especially when you know what you're supposed to do. But God says, hey, I want you to wait. Jesus tells them there's a big mission, but before you do that, you need to wait. Now, they're to wait for the promise of the Father. It says that uh, they're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. See, when, when I think about my walk with the Lord, when you think about your walk, when is the, when's the last time that you have even spent half an hour, 30 minutes just waiting? Just waiting upon the Lord. It says in the book of Isaiah to wait upon the Lord. Those that wait upon the Lord will what? Renew their strength. Do you feel weak? Are, are you having a, just a struggle right now? Are, are you having a hard time with, with maybe some things in your own life or, or maybe some aspects of God's will that you're seeking or some problems that you're going through? Or maybe you wanna know what God wants you to do or, or whatever those things are. And yet so many times we just wanna run ahead. And what God calls us to do is sometimes just to wait on him. And, and I'll tell you why. One of the reasons why he wants us to wait on him is that he loves to spend time with us. He wants to fill us. He wants to give us directions. You know, when I think about my kids, I, I think about one of the reasons why I love for them to ask me for advice. It's not just because I think I know what's best to do in certain situations. It's because that relationship is such a blessing. Isn't it? If you have children, isn't that one of the, the greatest joys in all of the world is when your kids just come and just say, hey, dad, what, mom, what should I do? Wow, you're asking me? You're, you know, I, for so many years I was telling you and now you're asking me and it shows that you kind of cross over in that relationship. And I think that when we wait upon the Lord, um, God wants to fill us and notice that when it comes to being baptized with the Holy Spirit, we're going to look at this this was something that for the disciples was a future event that was going to take place. For us reading the Bible, this is a past tense thing that God has already given his spirit and he's available to all of us at the present time. It, it goes on to say that um, when we think about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, it's one of the issues that is the most confusing um, in the body of Christ, in the church, because we come from different backgrounds. How many of you, when you, um, maybe this is your first church experience, but for those of you that have gone to other churches or maybe you've been a Christian for a while, how many of you were raised in uh, a charismatic or Pentecostal background? That's your background, okay? All right, how many of you were raised maybe in, um, let's say a, a Baptist or uh, maybe a Presbyterian type of background? All right, there's others. Uh, how many of you, you're not sure? <laughs> All right, some that aren't sure. But what I'm saying is that there's these different, uh, different parts of the body of Christ, both believers. In fact, there was a conference that just took place in Southern California last week. It was pretty controversial. It was called the Strange Fire Conference, uh, in which I was really bummed at, at the whole thing because it was like a conference based around um, what, what, in a sense, some people are against. And, and what it was, it was saying that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the way that the Holy Spirit worked, he doesn't work like that today. 
That was what the conference was around. And it caused like this firestorm in the body of Christ. One of the saddest things to me to see the body of Christ kind of fighting over that. Let's just look at God's word. And God says, hey, Jesus is telling them this is a good thing, right? When the Holy Spirit will baptize you. And that word baptism, taking the mystery out of it in a sense, it means to be submerged. The word baptize means to submerse someone. That's why when we baptize people, we submerse them underwater because it's a a true picture of really Jesus going into the grave and rising again. We're baptized. Um, But when it comes to being baptized in the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit, we could use different terminology. Sometimes people say, well, Oh, what's your church like? Oh, you know, we we go through the word of God, we pray, we believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And then they'll ask you, have you ever been asked, is it a spirit-filled church? And know this, it seems like almost everyone has a different definition of what that means. Because some people say spirit-filled church means that we jump. You know, do we jump? You know, some of us jump and most of us don't. Um, Spirit-filled church, do you raise your hands? Is, is that the definition of a spirit-filled church? Spirit-filled church, do you speak in tongues during the service? Uh, spirit-filled church, are we regenerated by the whole? See, we, we have these different ways of thinking of this. But it's important to know that when, when Jesus spoke this, and then later on when in Pentecost the Holy Spirit fell upon them, Peter explained what was happening by looking back to God's word. And if you ever want to know, you gotta go back to God's word. And so Peter said, this is that. This, what you're seeing, is what was written in the book of Joel. And, and in the book of Joel, it says, um, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Also on my uh, male servants and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So Peter was saying, this is what should be, ha- this is that, what was written in in back in the Old Testament. Now, before I go on, I think that this is so important for us because when we look at the mission that God has given to us, we have no ability to fulfill his mission unless the Holy Spirit fills us. We have no ability to do the things that God tells us to to do unless the Holy Spirit empowers us. If we skip that step, We will go out in our own strength, fall flat on our face, get discouraged and say, I'm never gonna try to witness to someone again. I'm never gonna try to serve again. I'm never gonna try to help someone again because if that's what it feels like, no thank you. God wants us to wait so that we have this empowerment by his spirit. Um, In the book of John, when Jesus uh, had had already resurrected, he, he came to them and he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were with him. And uh, in John chapter 20, Jesus said to them, Peace I, I uh, give to you, as the Father sent me, I also send you. And it says, And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So let me explain. This is after the resurrection. Jesus had been crucified. He got put in a tomb. He rises from the dead. He appears to the disciples. He tells them these things. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think happened when Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit? They received the Holy Spirit. Thank you. All right, it's not that hard. Okay, so he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit, and he says he's doing that, then I believe that he does that. 
He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I really believe at this point in time, the disciples were regenerated. I, I really believe at this time they were what it says in John chapter three, that they were born again, that the Holy Spirit had changed them, um, taken up residence within them. But yet Jesus still, after the resurrection, told them to go to this place and to wait, to wait for this power from on high, this promise of the uh, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So let's read in verses six through eight what this means. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Uh, at this time, will you restore the, the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the father has put in his own authority. In other words, they, they wanted to know um, things regarding the kingdom of Israel being restored. Is this your timing on this? And, and they were thinking that this power that they were going to be receiving would be like restoring Israel to power at this point in time. I think that sometimes we could be like that in that when it comes to waiting, we, we want to know, are, are, we, are we there yet? You know, is this the time? And Jesus is saying, you know, as far as those times and seasons of those things, um, you know what, God, the Father has this in his own authority. But Jesus' power that he's speaking of them is to be witnesses, not power to take over political authority and Israel is restored at this point in time. But it says in verse eight, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So listen to this. This promise is to us who believe. And the power that is going to be received, he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, in the Bible, um, there are different prepositions, different parts of speech that explain our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I was just singing with my kids uh, the other night. We were in our car, we were on our way home, and, and we were singing all of the Schoolhouse Rock songs. Do you guys remember that? If kids' test scores are going down today, it's because they took off Schoolhouse Rock. You know, it's about conjunction, junction, what's your function, you know, hooking up phrases and clauses. And, you know, well, well, there was one about prepositions, and we talked about prepositions. And, and my kids all know these songs about prepositions. And prepositions shows relationship between two things. And in the Bible, it says that the Holy Spirit is with the world, convicting the world of sin. Before you came to Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, you felt something in your heart that there's something more than this. And it, you didn't know what it was, but God was drawing you. Maybe that's what's going on in your life today, that God is drawing you. you you're not quite sure. You're not quite ready to, to open up. And, and yet, you know that there's something. And the Holy Spirit is with the world, convicting the world of sin. In fact, even before you were a follower of Christ, you knew when you did something wrong. You knew when there was something in your life that just wasn't right. But then... When we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in us. He lives in us. He regenerates us. We are at that point, um, we are adopted. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit at that point in time by faith. Yet the Bible also speaks of this upon experience where the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And I think that sometimes in the confusion, 
It comes from semantics. It comes from word choice within the body of Christ based on the words we use. And I want to say that when I've read and I've studied up on this, Charles Spurgeon, Billy Graham, D.L. Moody, Charles Finney, uh, New Testament guys, uh, different people, they experienced this sensation or this experience where God empowered them to love people that they didn't love, gave them a boldness to be able to proclaim truth in ways that they were not bold before, and empowered them to live this life that God has called them to live. In some people's life, it was manifested with speaking in tongues or a prayer language. In other people's lives, it wasn't manifested in that way, but I'll tell you what, their heart was beating and the Holy Spirit came upon them when they were talking to someone about the Lord and they didn't know where the words were coming from, but God was giving them the words. Other times the Holy Spirit would come upon someone because someone has hurt you and you feel just angry and you're bitter and you, you feel like they, they've done something to take your, your love and they've betrayed you, but somehow God fills you with a love for even that person and you even begin to weep over that person. See, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he baptizes us, we're immersed in the Holy Spirit. We could call that, that, that experience different things. But I'll tell you what, I think it was D.L. Moody that said, I don't care what you call it, it's just make sure that you have it. And, and have I submitted to God saying, God, just fill me with your Holy Spirit. D.L. Moody was asked one time, well, by a, a Christian woman, uh, do you believe that the Holy Spirit lives in us? And he says, yes, ma'am, I do. She said, then why do you keep why do you keep praying for the filling of the Holy Spirit? And he said, ma'am, we leak. You know, and, and it doesn't mean that he wasn't saved at that point. I'm not saying that. D.L. Moody was not saying that, hey, I leaked and the Holy Spirit's gone and I have to accept Christ again and be saved all over again. No, he's just saying that we need to be in a place, I, I look at it this way, we're under the spigot, you know, the flow, the, the, the Holy Spirit, um, his immersion into my, over me and in my life. And yet when I struggle and I go away from God. I stop praying. I'm not waiting upon the Lord. Maybe there's some bitterness or some sin that I'm holding on to. It's like the spigot gets turned off or more like it. I moved from under that flow. And when the Bible teaches us what it says in Ephesians to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the word is in the command form, be filled. And then it's in the continuous form, continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't mean that it's by working up power and by like, you know, someone just praying over you harder and louder and getting stronger, that it's by faith. It's a gift. Gifts aren't received by trying really hard. You know, you don't receive a gift um, because, hey, I'm good enough and I, I'm smart enough and people like me and give me that gift. You know, it, a gift is received humbly because you don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. That's a gift. That's the promise of the Father that God has given to all of us as believers. And if we are going to do the mission that God has called us to do, we absolutely need that. Because without it, like I said, try loving your enemy. I don't get any warm fuzzies about my, Christmas time comes up and I'm walking, you know, in a store and there's like the scent of like cinnamon, you know, and, and there's like all these things happening. I don't, at that point in time, think about my enemies. Like, oh, you know, he would like this. You know, this would be, <laughs> that's, that's not what we experience, is it? I'll tell you what happens, though, when we say, God, I'm struggling. And when you pray, pray honestly, because God already knows what's in your heart. God, I'm having a hard time. I can't let this go. 
I'm struggling forgiving this person. I'm struggling to love this person. And you've told me to do this. I have no ability, but God, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you help me to do that? Lord, would you even help me to want to? Because I don't even want to. And you know what God does? The Holy Spirit fills us and enables us to display the fruit of his spirit, to do the things that he's called us to do. Without it, we're, we're done. Without it, we have, we have no shot. Notice that when it comes to this power, the word power in the Greek is the word dunamis. It's a, a dynamite power. And, and I think it's important that we understand that this power of the Holy Spirit to live the life that God's intended us to live, to be witnesses, to uh, have the gifts that he, he calls us to exercise, it's not always the flash bang. Um, when I was a kid, I used to love 4th uh, of July, you know, Independence Day. And it's different than it is today. I still love Independence Day, um, but for different reasons. We used to live in a, a, a city that was just ridiculous when it came to fireworks. Um, at the time, everybody on the block would get their own fireworks packages. And uh, my brother would actually take me down to Mexico as a kid, and we would take orders, and we would bring back firecrackers and made I'm not advocating. I'm just telling you, this is what we did. We brought back all these bottle rockets, all these things. Uh, me and my friend Javier would sell those things to other people at a higher cost, make some money and have some fun. And we would have fireworks wars with people on the other side of our street. And we would fire them at each other. I mean, we would throw the, I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous. But I'll tell you what, as soon as the 4th of July was over and the flash was gone, it was like, it's over. There's nothing else to light. And so we would ride our bikes around looking for like scraps and duds and like trying to do those types of things and then build a bonfire and then jump it with our bikes. And that's what we would do. But the next day it was like you had to wait for another year for that power to do those things. See, as Christians, we need to be careful because I think sometimes we could think of the Holy Spirit like that. And we think, wow, wasn't that a great event at church? Wasn't that an awesome retreat? Man, we really sense the power of the Holy Spirit. When is the next event? When is the next thing? When is the next fireworks? When is the next time that we will experience that power of the Holy Spirit like that? And what God is telling us is that it, that power of the Holy Spirit is for everyday life. It's not just for the big things that we think of as the big events or the big times when God is really moving, although there are special times when God does that. That power to live the life that God wants us to live is available for us every day. And when I spend time with him every day saying, God, I need your power today. I need your help over this addiction. I need your help with this temptation. I need your help to do this ministry. Whatever those things are, that is available for us. As we abide in him, as we trust him, Jesus spoke this way in John chapter seven when, when he said, um, out of you will flow torrents, rivers of living water. And it says, this is what he spoke concerning the spirit. So God promises that. This boldness for being a witness for Christ is victory over sin. It doesn't mean that we don't sin, but it means that, that the power of the Holy Spirit helps us to change. There's a difference in how we are now compared to how we were then. There's a difference in how we see life. There's a difference in our perspective. And then the greatest evidence of the Holy Spirit is love. God is love. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And, and when that love starts to exude from my life, I start to realize something. I couldn't produce that in my own strength. God began to produce that in me. 
So as I close, when we consider this and we are looking at our mission, this is part of being a disciple, our mission together as disciples. It's really important that we, we understand that we're in this together. And as we're on mission, let me ask you some very simple questions. What does a singer do? Sings. What does a farmer do? What does a hunter do? What does a builder do? What does a disciple do? Disciples, right. See, some, we've got it wrong when we say a disciple only is the learning part. That is a part of being a disciple. But remember this, that when Jesus told us to make disciples, Paul told it to Timothy. It was passed on to Paul. And when Paul passed it on to Timothy, he said, Timothy, entrust these things, the things that you've learned, you've seen from me. So what is happening with Paul's relationship with Timothy? It's what we, we saw in that video. It's influence. He spent time with Timothy. He transferred knowledge. He shared life with him. And then he told Timothy, the things that I've entrusted to you, in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, he said, these entrust to other men who will be able to teach others also. See, this is something that we're in this together. And in this mission, there are incredible blessings that come from our mission together. See, when it comes to being a band of brothers, um, Stephen Ambrose wrote a book called Band of Brothers. I, I read the book before I saw the miniseries, but the miniseries was really powerful. During World War II, uh, my dad was here a couple of weeks ago. Some of you met him. My dad was a World War II veteran. Uh, but during World War II, people were drafted from all walks of life. There were English teachers, and there were plumbers, and there were construction workers, and they came from Philadelphia, and they came from Los Angeles, and they came from Arizona. They came from all over the country, and they were together. They had different accents. They liked different teams. They did different. Some of them were wealthy. Some of them weren't. And if you've ever read about the camaraderie that happened during those uh, years between the veterans that served during World War II, the camaraderie that happened came because they understood that they were brothers together on a mission that they had in common. And that they were willing to sacrifice. It was much stronger than any other kind of uh, just a, a friendship or, or just kind of a, a common acquaintance. See, when it comes to being uh, bro my brothers here, um, that's Rich over there in, in the back. Um, he's my physical brother. Uh, he was here at our men's boot camp. I called him up on Friday. Uh, we were talking on the phone because Fred Gonzalez couldn't make it. Uh, he had the flu. And my brother said, I'll, I'll be there. I'll do it. And so my brother who leads uh, um, the marriage ministry down at Calvary Chapel Golden Springs, he, he drove up, got here at 3 a.m. And, uh, you know, he was able to be with us yesterday. And it was a real blessing. But the reason why I share that is that some of you have physical brothers and sisters that don't know Christ. And sometimes it, it, it's hard because you love them. Don't get me wrong. You absolutely love them. But when you talk about things, you see things differently. When you're, you're together, you're, your heart is for them because you want them to know the things that you know. You want them to know the God that you know. You want them to have the relationship with Jesus that you have. But if you have siblings that are followers of Christ, that fellowship that you have, that friendship that you have, that link as brothers and sisters becomes even that much stronger. So the things that my brother and I talk about are, yes, sports and yes, family and, and fun things and all kinds of different things that happen in our world. But the basis of our fellowship is that he's in Southern California doing the mission that God has called him to. 
And I'm here doing the mission that God has called me to. And when we're together, there's refreshment. And when we're together, there's a commonality. How is the mission going? In fact, it's kind of the basis of our fellowship. How's the mission going? How are things going in ministry? How, how are things going in your family? How, how, are you, how are you working on discipling your son? How are, how are things going in reaching out to your, your friends? My brother works in a secular workplace. He works for a, you know, in, in the corporate world. And I ask him about that. How's that mission going? Because when it comes to being this band of brothers and sisters in Christ, we're on mission together. We, we serve the Lord together. We love God. The same one that died for you died for me. The same one that saved you saved me. I, I could only imagine if we were in a foxhole and someone threw a grenade in the foxhole and, and a friend of ours jumped on the grenade and it smothered the shrapnel in his stomach and he died and we had a reunion and we got together every year, I guarantee you our fellowship would be deep because we remember the sacrifice of our common friend. We have a common friend. His name is Jesus who died for us. And that should make us friends. That should make us closer than just acquaintances. Our mission is too important so that our our little fights and our little squabbles, our little disagreements, those things, you could be fighting with someone. And I guarantee you, if parachutes started to drop from the sky right now, this person that you're arguing over who should be in line next, all of a sudden that doesn't matter and that doesn't count because your mission is too important. We have a mission to reach people that don't know the Lord. We, in a sense, there's people drowning all around us that don't know Jesus. And, and maybe they don't even realize that they're drowning. They don't even realize it because their life is good financially or it seems like there's a lot of peace in their life. God's called us to be on mission. It's too important. And then when it comes to love, you know, Iran is a derivative of Eros. It's a, a self-centered love. I love these friends because it's fun to hang out with them. I love these people because they're good to me. But agape is unconditional love. It's the way that we love our enemies. But let me share this. When two people have agape love, if you're married, if you have a sacrificial love for your spouse, then you know what God yields? It yields something called phileo, which is a friendship love. When two people have agape If one person has agape and the other person has Iran, that relationship is kind of self-centered. The the person that is selfish is a taker. The person that has agape is a giver. When both people have agape, guess what happens? You have phileo. You have this friendship. And because God has called us to be on mission together, when we love one another, Jesus said, all men will know you're my disciples, my followers, by what? Your love for one another. Do we have a love for the body of Christ? Do you have a love for the people sitting around you? Other churches that are named as believers that follow Christ and teach the word of God? This is not a competition. We are all in it together. And as we are all in it together, God calls us to love one another. And finally, remember this. Remember why we fight. We fight a spiritual battle. This morning, um, I... I received uh, some texts from some other pastors. Rick Franks, who pastors Calvary Chapel Mountain View, just saying, hey, I'm thinking about you, praying for you. Mike McClure, who pastors Calvary Chapel San Jose, hey, thought of you this morning, I'm praying for you. I texted a friend of mine that this morning is his last Sunday morning. Do you know why? Because he's preaching the gospel at his church and because there are people that are upset because he's teaching that the Bible is literally true and he's teaching about sin 
and this church has been in existence for a long time and today is his last Sunday. You know what I texted him? I texted him the word strength and honor. Yeah, it's kind of Maximus, you know, from Gladiator, like strength and honor. Just, and then he texted back, amen. He said, can't wait to preach the gospel today. You know what? We are all in this together. And when we see that, I'll tell you, there's an excitement that should come in our walk with God because, because we're helping each other and one person stumbles and you pick them up and you keep running and then you fall and there, there's a couple of people that pick you up and you keep on running and you keep doing the things that God has called you to do. And the bottom line is this. Our mission is clear. Love God, love people, and make disciples. We are called to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are called to love one another as ourselves, and we are called to make disciples. And as we make disciples, if they are believers, let's help them to grow a little bit in their walk as they help me to grow in my walk. And if they are not believers, then God has called us to be witnesses. That only happens by the power of what? The Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. Do you want that gift? Do you believe that God offers that? Do you believe that he'll give it? Then guess what? By faith, receive it. Let's pray. Let's worship the Lord together. And as we do that, um, as we worship the Lord together, we, our mission is clear. God, what can I do? You know what I'm gonna do as I, I pray for us is this. And, and I, I, I can't pray this. I could pray for you, but you need to pray this for yourself. God, what can I do? Um, Lord, how do you want to use me? And God, give me the power, get, fill me with your spirit to be able to do what you've called me to do. So as we worship the Lord, we worship in singing because our, our hearts are touched by the same God that has saved us. We worship by giving and tithes and offerings that furthers the advance of the gospel. Not only the work that is being done right here in this building, but the work that is being, do, being done on the mission field. We, we partner with God and then we say, God, use us in any way. And so we respond to God's love. Again, remember, mission doesn't come before relationship. It comes from relationship. Let's pray. Jesus, we wanna thank you for you setting the example of going on mission to come for us. You left heaven to come to earth. You left comfort to come to pain to experience the things that we as human beings experience, to experience betrayal by friends, to reach out to a world that most of the world says, I don't want anything to do with you. And Lord, because you've done that for us, we respond by saying thank you. And right now, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that has never received Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today would be that day. Lord, that they would by faith pray, open up their hearts to you to say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me for my sins. Lord, I pray as believers that you would fill us with your spirit. Because God, we've heard a message and we have no ability to do what you've told us to do unless your Holy Spirit gives us the strength to do so. So God, we thank you. We ask that you would cleanse us. Lord, forgive us for sins that we have committed knowingly. And Lord, even those things that we have committed unknowingly, as your Holy Spirit brings those to our, our attention, may we repent. Lord, finally, we also respond by singing, by giving to you of tithes and offerings, Lord. Use these, Lord, as, as you see fit. Lord, receive them as a, an act of worship. We thank you when we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.